0: Welcome to the Coaching Talks Podcast, your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey. How can companies use megatrends to prepare for success? Today we'll talk about the future of strategy in modern organizations, together with the communication, transformation and strategy expert, Mariana Toiminen. And now, relax and enjoy. Welcome back to our show. We have today with us Mariana Toiminen. Mariana is a senior level executive professional with over 18 years of leadership and management experience. At the moment, she's running the business areas of strategy, corporate culture, and transformation services at Elunkanat Consultancy. Previously, she has been a senior advisor at the co-founded Mindmill Network, focused on assisting clients with digital transformation initiatives in Finland. Mariana, welcome to our show.
1: Thank you, great to be here.
0: Let's start right away with this interview and let's talk about megatrends. Which are the megatrends you believe that will affect the organizations within the next years?
1: First of all, I'm glad you asked because there's so much talk about how technology is going to change uh, organizations and societies and of, of course that is one of the megatrends but mm-hmm. with megatrends and that's that's a term that should be used more often you don't get to choose you don't get to pick one that and then decide this is going to have an impact on us because they're called megatrends because they all affect our lives everywhere and they just continue they don't they don't stop they're Good not boss. just like weak signals or or small trends they're they're things that affect all of us so So I think and that's one of the challenges, one of the many challenges companies face today that they actually need to find ways to figure out how the megatrends all of them affect their own business and their clients' business most of all. So talking about aging, for example, mm-hmm. uh, in all our Western countries will face massive changes due to aging population. But actually, that's one of the hardest things for us to figure out. We we only talk about pensions or we only talk about health, but there are so many other areas of life where the elderly, you know, majority will will have an an influence on. But so for some reason there's not much talk about it but companies should really think of it as an opportunity but obviously also as a threat because there are industries which will face big transformations just because of aging and Just the other day, I was talking to an audience uh, and then there was someone who said in the audience uh, of 300 executives that it's the climate change does not really affect all of all of us. I was was like, (laughs) wait a minute, we have to talk later. But let me just say that there is not a single company that would be out of the influence from climate change, Um, starting with, for example, legislation. There will be quite a lot more legislation and than there is now, no matter which industry you work in. And if you work with, with a carbon-intensive industry, you should really have your plans ready. And you should really be prepared for a massive, massive change. Or if you're connected to industries that are carbon-heavy. And then if you talk about urbanization, that's in Finland that's a huge topic. Because there are companies who are also in other Scandinavian countries or you. European wide, they should be really aware of the areas that will just empty out of people because that will happen. And these these are things that we know that will happen, that will we know for sure, and we can calculate. You know, I used to work uh, for 20 years in the media industry, and just returned to make a huge future scenario work for that industry um, two years ago. And I thought that now that media has been in disruption for. 10 years or so, there must be, you know, really good awareness of the mega trends that will influence their, their income. They have probably now calculated how much of their audience, paying audience, is going to die, because they know the paying audience of the traditional media is mainly going to die within the next 20 years and the new audience is not willing to pay. So they have probably figured out by now where they're going to get their new income, because the megatrends are something you can actually evaluate beforehand. Not like, unlike, we don't really know about many other trends that are emerging, but megatrends are the ones we really, really know, quite sure. But they're hard to figure out, so companies need to spend time on evaluating the impact.
0: One thing is that it doesn't matter what you believe, they will affect you, so uh, ignoring them is not going to solve any issue of not to have to worry about uh, what to do with them. They will, yes or yes, impact any any company. The other dimension is on the timeline. Trends in the past, it was something that uh, we could see 50, 60, 70 years from now. Mm-hmm. But that timeline has been shortened up to maybe even one, two years, five years. So we don't talk anymore about megatrends coming in 50 years, right?
1: The change has changed. It has really, it sounds like a cliche that is sort of, uh, fastened its pace, but it's actually true, not only technology. And what, you know, us humans, we have to realize that by our nature, we are bad at looking. Uh, to the future we have it's it's in our minds that our brains rather look in the past Mm -hmm. and see all the changes that happened in the past it's called the end of history phenomenon (laughs) but when we look for example ourselves we might say yes i am now 50 and i have changed quite a bit since i was 20 but from now on it's you know i'm settled it's pretty much the same and that goes for companies for societies for everyone we have that structure in our thinking that is hard for us to look in, into the future and actually realize what we know and also realize what we don't know. Mm. That's really hard for us, but for all the reasons mentioned above, we have to struggle to find, to, to look into the future as companies and as individuals.
0: As I can see those dimensions will also have a huge impact on the the mindset areas as well, which touch right away on how cultures in companies will be transformed due to these mega trends. So when we look about tomorrow's corporate cultures, and when we say tomorrow, we actually mean tomorrow, (laughs) not once again, 50 years from now, but we do mean tomorrow's corporate culture, how different that could be from the ones we see nowadays? What do you think?
1: Well, Obviously, the biggest danger is that they look the same. Now. I mean, how different could they be? I mean, that's a, that's a very, sort of very positive uh, way of looking at it. But uh, I like Gary Hamill, the legendary strategy professor and a consultant who said that a company might have figured out a business idea for the 2020s, but they might still have a way of organizing, a way of leading that dates from 1950s. Mm. And they might have a a sort of a perception of a human being, how a human behaves that derives from 1880s. So, So there is a sort of a mismatch or sort of a... A sort of a gap in in the sense of how companies think of humans what humans are capable of how they should be organized in working together and what kind of business they should have so obviously they should be aligned so aligned means that after they are looked outside mm-hmm. how the changes are going to affect us how our you know business logic, how our income should change what opportunities there are for us then naturally if all things were ideal they would think so how should we now organize ourselves but naturally that's that's uh, that's easy to say but very hard to do so companies tend to keep on doing what they have always done and as humans tend to do that also So transformation uh, within inside is difficult but vital because you know there are well-meaning strategies there are several changes happening in organizations right now but they don't Happen. They don't mm-hmm. realize. They they die out. We forget about them. We are too busy. Our mindsets don't change. So most, I would say, most of the well-meaning strategies don't work. I mean, here in Finland, I've read uh, from some research that there are approximately uh, 12 change projects in average in one company going on at the same time. At the same time. So then you could realize, are those so you could think of: Are those changes really vital for their future competencies, or their their um, their survival, <laughs> or are they just changes that keep them busy? Uh, thinking about not sort of avoiding them of making hard decisions, h- h- what what they should really focus on instead of or where they should go and what they should learn.
0: That is a topic that just came out to my mind when you were describing this case, which is more or less the lack of focus. Do they really understand which is their strategy? What is their vision? Is there a purpose? And then what is the one thing? they would have to do. The one thing they would have to focus, instead of having 12 transformation initiatives like you were indicating, what is the one thing to focus right now in this moment? And then do that one thing, which brings also to my mind the topic of collective learning and peer coaching. We have been discussing also offline uh, those topics. So if we think about those two skills of collective learning and peer coaching, how relevant do you believe that they will be for companies?
1: I'm i going to quote another man here, (laughs) who is uh, John Hegel, a very very nice theorist around the future of work, which I I, I write about a lot myself. So John Hegel has said that the uh, industrial age was based on scaling efficiency, but the post-industrial age or the age we're going to enter is about scaling learning. Hmm. So companies also, while thinking where they're going and what's happening outside, should really try to find ways of scaling learning within themselves and then finding uh, ways to incorporate the talent they have within and outside. So find new networks, new ways of working with, the, with other types of skills that they don't have inside the company, find sort of learning networks, but also enhance the potential they have within the companies. I think that mostly learning is considered as an H&R thing. So you go, H&R will know what you have to learn. But unless learning is at the core of a CEO's, you know, strategy or the, the mindset of an executive team, unless they take it seriously, that it's, it doesn't happen.
0: So but you're referring to the going out from human resources and incorporating also these topics like uh, collective learning as a part of the strategy. So it's not anymore a project, right? Exactly. It becomes exactly. a part of the, the vision, a part of the goals to achieve for the whole company, not just for one department.
1: Exactly. In general, I think one of the big problems in trying to transform is for executive teams or boards to make a strategy without the concern of realizing it, without considering what do we need to learn in order for this strategy to become reality.
0: The new things to learn, not the things that we already know.
1: Yes, exactly. I think the sort of realization part is often sort of like we have the strategy and now we sort of inform the the staff in a two hour meeting. We show the slides. here Here is our strategy and now go and do it. So obviously, you know, it doesn't hasn't probably worked very well before, but it certainly doesn't work now. So if strategy does not include a plan, what, we, what do we need to learn? What do we need to stop doing? What do we need to start doing in order for this to be realized? It does not have very good chances to become reality. And also to learn from, you know, we talk a lot about emergent strategy, it's, mm. it's all about the continuous learning within the, those decisions or those directions we have chosen in the tra- strategy. Are oh, were they right? How do we, how do we sort of keep on developing the strategy together or in a bigger group than just a corporate team, you know?
0: Those are very good points, especially when we think on the dimensions you we were talking about what will have to change. What will have to be transformed? And we don't talk just about skills and capabilities, but it's also incentives, right? So when I think about collective learning, one of the main enemies that I'm seeing with my clients on working with collective learnings is the way the rewarding systems are established. So they seem to be asking from collective learning, but they keep on rewarding individual victories, which it comes, you know, incentivizing the ego instead of incentivizing the win of the of the team. Uh, how do you see in this uh, dimension of also changing incentives and rewarding systems, which are the main steps that you may have seen around that our companies are starting to take or are they doing anything about it? Is this a topic that they are missing or do you see that this is becoming a, an awareness factor?
1: Well, I think uh, companies are starting to think what they should measure. Mm. How do you measure a transformation. I mean, the ways to measure need to be different than than sort of industrial growth measurements. So how do you measure investing in learning? What are the true parameters? Is uh, increased collaboration within the company? Can you measure that? Can you measure improved communication within the company or can you uh, measure improved understanding of the future you know all of those parameters might be important in the long run instead of have we grown uh, five percent our revenue so that as you said directs uh, how people work.
0: going into that dimension as well and'm going a bit deeper on the skill level one of the skills that have been mentioned by many think tanks that will be the main capability to developing companies is strategical thinking so when thinking about what you just said also like how do you measure a strategical thinking how do you incentivize a strategical thinking
1: well I think it's it's important to make it systematic whatever you s- strive after you need to be able to to make it intentional right so I mean, uh, how to how to make learning intentional? You know, there is this old saying about you learn something if you repeat it uh, ten thousand times, and that sort of might be true for tennis or other things. But <laughs> but uh, and that, but then there's a new theory. Uh, if, for example, in the book, talent is overrated. When you look at the big talents of our time, say Mozart or something, it's it's not only about the repetition, but it's about the sort of uh, intentional learning so you need to be intentional and and how to make that intention visible is a good uh, incentive to make the progress or make any sort of events or uh, signs of how have we succeeded in, in transforming this company, make it visible. I mean, I think that's a strong incentive. There's, it's no wonder why I work in a communication uh, ba- a company because communication is one, uh, one way of making learning uh, intentional and making it visible. So I think incentives could be a lot simpler
0: Let's, let's go there for a while because yeah. the topic of communication is fascinating. What does it mean for you? Because I'm sure that, you know, if I would ask to 10 different people, what does communication mean? I would get answers from sending emails to having phone calls to, but what does it really mean for you? What is communication?
1: Well, it's a tool for change. <laughs> it's it's the only tool we have. Let's face it. It's the only tool we have as humans so far that we know of that enables everything. There is a saying that language tells uh, the way a company talks, the way we use language in our meetings or in our mails reveals if our strategy really lives, or if our corporate culture is really open, Mm -hmm. the way we talk, not only the message we share, but the way we talk.
0: So how would you know that true communication is taking place in a company?
1: That is a good question. I think there has to be an element always of sincerity that derives out of trust. You have to find signals of trust in that communication. Actually, we're working in in the company I work in at the moment, we're working on an AI project that would recognize signals in the language of a company, Mm -hmm. whether what kind of signals do you have, if a company has an open culture or a trustful culture, what signifies it. Mm -hmm. But as you know, Only 7% of human communication is words. That's why uh, males are problematic or working long distance are problematic without seeing the face. We as humans also communicate with micro uh, expressions and gestures and and tone of voice and such. So openness and trust should be um, looked for if uh, communication is uh, sort of sincere or open.
0: I think that one of the dimensions I've noticed where trust becomes very clear to me—it's uh, what I've seen among some of my clients—it's how they deal with conflict. What I notice is that in, in teams where they have a high levels of trust among each other, suddenly it's not anymore the type of emotional conflict or the drama conflict, what you see around, but it's more about the task. It's more about, okay, we disagree, and now how can we find a way to go forward? How can we combine our ideas? So there's not that much competing to see who has the best idea, who's the one who's the smartest. That's why I was referring before to how some companies still reward the ego, reward the winner, the firefighter. But I say many times that, look, if you reward the firefighter, When there's no fires, guess what's going to happen? The firefighter will make sure that gets more fires to get some job. So that type of behavior I notice a lot. I don't know if you notice any other type of behavior or something similar. I I
1: think what you just described is the sort of alpha male behavior, but there are several companies where the opposite is the problem. The lack of uh, conflict. My colleague actually wrote a book about about the ability to be able to have conflicting views and to be able to approach difficult conversations I think that's also a sign of trust how to be able to talk in general not to I mean ego is another thing but you know many companies have the problem that they are not even brave enough to address hard or or conflicting uh, views or just to bring them on the table so to how to talk to each other in a constructing way in a sort of trustful way
0: Okay, so are you indicating that conflict or task conflict, it's an inherent part of the collective learning. So can we have one without the other?
1: I think to be able to compare views in future scenarios, which I work a lot on, spend my time on, it's always the plural, it's always scenarios, Mm -hmm. as well as learning. It's about sharing uh, views and finding what's what's new, because we don't know what we know unless we sort of share it and learn from others. Mm-hmm. So it's it's about dialogue. That's how learning happens.
0: We could call them conflict. We can call them uh, disagreements or having different bonds of views. But at the end of the day, we look at the best ideas or the best innovations that we have around us. Anywhere from the mouse that we use with our computers to the cars that we use to drive around or any other type of innovation. Most of them will be the result of incorporating different ideas, of having different people involved in the process and disagreeing and agreeing on how to combine their different points of view, correct?
1: Exactly. And that's, that's where diversity comes in. If we only employ people or hire people who think the same way and who will not conflict at all, anyone who will just want to disagree on everything, that will be fatal for a company. And that's a hard thing for most companies that are used to being very heterogeneous, being very sort of unanimous in their ways of working, but that doesn't work for future-proof companies anymore.
0: And after a team has learned to deal with conflict, how can they go then to the next level of skills? We have been talking about collective learning. We've been talking about dealing with conflict. We have been talking about daring to learn new things. Now we go to the ownership and accountability because it is time to do something about those things that those teams and those companies have been talking about and to make those mega trends become a project, create some ideas and put them into action. So how is accountability and ownership playing a role into the equation?
1: Well, naturally, it has everything to do with how a company is organized, whether it's hierarchical, whether it's in silos, whether one person has the word, the final word or whether it's a sort of a, an, a sort of like amoeba kind of uh, organic evolving process and how to support that organic way of doing the work is in center. So it's no wonder most companies, several companies are are struggling to find ways of being agile or doing the, the Toyota method or something because it's the learning of unknown and unmet and surprising new problems and opportunities and situations is so central to, mm-hmm. to companies these days or should be if it's not. It's it's a problem also, and in that sense, uh, a way to work without hierarchies and a way to to sort of continuously learn together without a silo or structure. It's it's very central it's very hard. It's very hard. I think each company should find their own process or in their own progress. I wouldn't say that all companies should work in a way we work or in a Mm. way someone else works. So each company should be aware of what are the sort of obstacles for us uh, in our learning process, in our way of being agile or reacting faster or learning faster.
0: This brings to my mind as well how this relates to the topic I was mentioning before on incentivizing and rewarding because... There's no one way that each one of us gets motivated, right? So the agile mindset can be also incorporated into which different schemes do we have to help people be more motivated, but at the same time, how can they bring that motivation from home and supporting that development when they demonstrate that uh, behavior, that attitude, that mindset. So in this stage, we don't talk anymore about rewarding outcomes. But we're talking about rewarding behaviors, attitudes, and mindsets, and that is complicated because it's not anymore a hard KPI. And how to measure that dimension, you have been mentioning before, that it's difficult to measure some of those metrics. So when I think about how agile methodologies and agile mindset can be implemented also to the rewarding and incentives uh, areas, which are the potential benefits you see for companies who are willing to open those dimensions as well?
1: Uh, I think. I think it would be interesting uh, to find a company that incentivize or rewards actions that support their values or actions that support their purpose mm. or actions that support their attempt to cross silos. And then you should build the measures or rewards accordingly. I, I think it's it should not be hard. You just need to decide that you do it. You ne- need to make a decision that we actually don't measure sales. <laughs> we measure incentives on helping each other, mm-hmm. you know, and you should be measured by how many times or however you want to count it or how how you want to define it. Uh, how have you helped your colleagues or how have you helped your clients to find new ways of looking at the world or whatever? Uh, it's, it should not be hard. It's It could be, uh, made into numbers if that's if that's the case but i think it's only a willingness to sort of focus on on different things in general i think after being a ceo and you know when you want to sell if you if you even if you look at the numbers it's not the numbers you should measure but the actions that lead to those numbers
0: and the so, quality of the decision making process you, right
1: the, the actions should be also considered in terms of quality you know Mm-hmm. So, actually, it's not all that different. It's just a different angle of looking at how to, to measure human behaviour.
0: That is correct. This brings me a topic we were discussing with uh, Safi Bakal, the author of the bestseller Loon Shots, when he was mentioning the relevance and the importance of having the figure of the incentive officer on place, it's just because of the fact that things are changing so fast That even if at the beginning of the year, you have defined certain incentives according to what your strategy needs. So number one is understand which are the needs of your strategy and then how to build rewards and incentives based on that. But also accept that even long term rewards may not be valid anymore because things are changing very fast. So it could be the rewards you set for the next quarter are different than the ones. For the next quarter so incorporating this agile thinking as well for changing even how you incentivize your employees in different ways is not anymore the yearly approach but bring this regularity that even there to change you can have some yearly objectives some yearly rewards for the long run but then also how to incorporate the shorter term uh, incentives and then have the focus each one of us have different preferences we get motivated by different things we wake up every morning for different reasons. When you think about the mega trends we have been discussing and how cultures are built, which are the main challenges companies will be facing to incorporate this type of methodologies and mindset?
1: Well, there are several challenges, but let me just bring one one perspective in the question that we haven't talked about. You know, corporates or companies consist of individuals and in the sort of transformation phase that we are about to enter as societies and as companies, the sort of individuals own, as we talked about mindsets, but also mm-hmm. individual skills to lead his or hers own work, just to be sort of self-determined, to realize how to use his or her time, how to incorporate your own individual learning in your calendar. How do you do it and how and, and sort of like how to make the change individual for yourself and how to get help who supports you and how do you measure uh, for yourself your own motives and your own sort of uh, success or your own own moods or your own energy i think uh, also, as I talked about, you cannot make a strategy without including or incorporating ways of realizing that strategy or finding out what you don't know yet and what <clears throat> you need to learn. Also, in in the modern sort of corporate world, the role of an individual obviously has a has a new sort of meaning. And because of that reason, the sort of uh, mindset and the sort of skill set of an individual to, to lead his or hers own work and his or hers own mind is of a new importance. And it's no wonder there are so many books about sleep or uh, awareness or mindfulness, uh, because those are actually at the very core of for us to, to survive this and to thrive. We're not just, you know, manufacturers or we're not in a factory, we're in a different sort of environment and that means different things for our minds. So I think it would be silly to think that the ways we work as individuals could remain the same. They cannot.
0: What is the first step What is the one thing a company could do to initiate the journey through this transformation?
1: Well, since I work with future scenarios so much, and I know after working with executive teams, that (laughs) communicating or uh, having a dialogue on what we think might happen (laughs) is an important one to look outside in a way that the company or executive team or the staff is not used to. And to find some, you know, common ground. There is quite a lot of communicating and, and discussion and dialogue to be done. And that, would, that will help us, you know, but we have to find the space to do that. I talk quite a lot about Uh, You know, future scenario has this sort of too. it sounds too serious, you know, or too strenuous or too hard. But what we need is to find a way to look at the future for in a collaborative way and, and find something that we we sort of make assumptions on, or believe, or don't believe, uh, I think it should be a shared process. It it doesn't help if the CEO knows Hmm. what's going to happen.
0: So you're talking about sharing the context as well on how do you build? So it's not just about communicating what the management team has decided, but are you referring about sharing a context? Sharing a purpose, sharing a vision.
1: Sharing or even building it together, you know, building, mm-hmm. it, having a process where where it's more collaborative uh, and, and finding ways to understand what's where we are now, <laughs> what's happening around us, finding ways to, to build that, that understanding together. That would help.
0: And thinking about communication, then linking it back to what you said before on focus which are the dimensions, which are the areas that we should keep the focus on, right? So which are the top three things you were mentioning before, an example of having 12 programs at the same time?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, after after that, after we have a, a sort of a shared... Perception of where we are at the moment in the in the sort of changing uh, environment. Uh, then after that, naturally, we should be able to decide what we will choose to do and where what we should not to do. Uh, I think the not to do is is as important as the to do or to learn. Uh, someone has said companies always have to repair the airplane during the flight and that's that's always happening we have to keep on with our daily business while incorporating new things but we definitely need to decide what not to do and what to sort of end in order to be able to open up make space for new things
0: i think that one challenge also when talking about communication and related to the phase that you're discussing now which is after we go operative after we go into action and you know the battle takes place is how can we keep communication ongoing sometimes i notice that people put a lot of effort companies put a lot of effort on that initial phase Mm -hmm. and then suddenly communication stops at that point and then nobody really understands what's going on
1: Yeah, you have to that has to be in the plan that has to how do we follow up how do we keep on communicating what will happen actually uh and then it's about you know the calendar (laughs) whatever you take time for you know that will happen so it's those simple things that are the hardest but it's up to the management to keep the communication going you know it's it's really their space and that's really their role and in the end they want that the strategy will happen but it does not happen without the communication so it has to be a sort of like a continuous learning process and it's just about making space for it in the calendar
0: I love that part. And I keep on repeating that quote in a lot of uh, the podcasts actually, and it's the Stephen Covey's quote. It's not about how do you prioritize your agenda, but how do you make sure that your priorities end up in your agenda, right? It's a huge difference on how we do that and how communication becomes a part of the strategy, how it becomes part, as you were saying, part of the agenda of the management team to make sure that it happens on an ongoing basis. And I think that is one of the areas which defines the key success on creating that common understanding and communication, which are the major pitfalls you might have seen nowadays around companies when deploying a project, deploying a strategy, and suddenly it comes the, okay, how do we communicate? Which are the major issues and which tips could you give to our listeners about what can they do?
1: Well, I think the, the problem starts when the executive team makes the strategy. If they have not... Uh, been brave enough to make strategic decisions about the direction. Mm -hmm. If strategy is not a tool for change, if it's just to state the obvious, then the communication part is also quite difficult. I've seen several strategies that are bad narratives. You need to be more (laughs) explicit.
0: How you tell the story also makes a difference.
1: First of all, if the strategic work is not brave enough, if it doesn't include choices that relate to the changes outside hmm. that is the first problem if it's sort of like an incompetent strategy then the next part is if it's not a narrative if it's like a foreign language even though the for the people who speak the language then it's a problem so you need to be able to communicate it in a way where People actually use the same words. It's a twofold thing. First, you be able, you need to be able to make a brave strategy. That is a tool for change. Then you need to be able to communicate what is the change. How do we actually change our business and our ways of working and our capabilities and our resources because of this strategy? So those are the main things.
0: So then would you say that a company needs a kind of a two-level Uh, strategy, one that would be the, the company strategy to have in place, and the other one, which is the communication strategy as well, to have already thought beforehand, how will that take place? Would you say that both levels are needed?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I wouldn't say they are, I would, I would want to say that it's not two levels, but it's the same thing, but that's the way it normally is. That a uh, company that does communication is called or, or summoned into place when there's a strategy that needs to be communicated. But as I said, equal problem is if the strategy is nothing if it's just keeping on the status quo and doesn't there's nothing in it (laughs) how do you communicate something that's empty and doesn't show direction or doesn't show a vision or doesn't show you know just bravery you know that's sort of an incompetent strategy that's also a problem
0: could it be then a a recommendation we could give to our listeners to actually incorporate the objectives or the challenge or must-win battle into their strategy about how do we make Great communication. How do we make great communication happen in our company? Would that be something? Yeah,
1: well, that's a nice, that's a very nice thought. So you should have your must win battles within the business and then you have your must win battles in the communication. That's I'll take that one into my work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So thank you very much, Marianna. It's been great talking to you today. It's a pleasure. It's been a pleasure to have you as a guest. And hopefully we have you around another time in the future.
1: Yes, let's hope so. Thank you.
0: So that was all for today. And thank you very much for being a loyal listener. Let us know if there is any topic you would like us to cover down in the space for comments. Have a great rest of the week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to our bi-weekly podcast. And remember, this is about spreading and sharing the knowledge. So feel free to forward this audio to anybody you believe could get any benefit out of it. Coaching Talks Podcast. Your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey.